Book Four, Chapter Eight Amelia. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, visit LibriVox.org. Amelia by Henry Fielding. Book Four, Chapter Eight Containing Various Matters. A fortnight had now passed since Booth had seen or heard from the Colonel, which did not a little surprise him as they had parted so good friends, and as he had so cordially undertaken his cause concerning the memorial on which all his hopes depended. The uneasiness which this gave him farther increased on finding that his friend refused to see him, for he had paid the colonel a visit at nine in the morning, and was told he was not stirring, and at his return back an hour afterwards the servant said his master was gone out, of which Booth was certain of the falsehood, for he had during that whole hour walked backwards and forwards within sight of the colonel's door, and must have seen him if he had gone out within that time. The good colonel, however, did not long suffer his friend to continue in the deplorable state of anxiety, for the very next morning Booth received his memorial enclosed in a letter, acquainting him that Mr. James had mentioned his affair to the person he proposed, but that the great man had so many engagements on his hands that it was impossible for him to make any further promises at this time. The cold and distant style of this letter, and indeed the whole behaviour of James, so different from what it had been formerly, had something so mysterious in it, that it greatly puzzled and perplexed poor Booth and it was so long before he was able to solve it, that the reader's curiosity will perhaps be obliged to us for not leaving him so long in the dark as to this matter. The true reason, then, of the colonel's conduct was this. His unbounded generosity, together with the unbounded extravagance, and consequently the great necessity of Miss Matthews, had at length overcome the cruelty of that lady with whom he likewise had luckily no rival. Above all, the desire of being revenged on Booth, with whom she was to the highest degree enraged, had perhaps contributed not a little to his success, for she had no sooner condescended to a familiarity with her new lover, and discovered that Captain James, of whom she heard so much from Booth, was no other than the identical colonel, than she employed every art of which she was mistress, to make an utter breach of friendship between these two. For this purpose she did not scruple to insinuate that the colonel was not at all obliged to the character given of him by his friend, and to the account of this latter she placed most of the cruelty with which she had shown to the former. Had the colonel made a proper use of his reason, and fairly examined the probability of the fact, he could scarce have been imposed upon to believe a matter so inconsistent with all he knew of Booth, and in which that gentleman must have sinned against all the laws of honour without any visible temptation. But in solemn fact the colonel was so intoxicated with his love that it was in the power of his mistress to persuade him of anything. Besides, he had an interest in giving her credit, for he was not a little pleased with finding a reason for hating the man whom he could not help hating without any reason, at least without any which he durst fairly assign even to himself." Henceforth, therefore, he abandoned all friendship for Booth, and was more inclined to put him out of the world than to endeavour any longer at supporting him in it. Booth communicated this letter to his wife, who endeavoured, as usual, to put the utmost of her power, to console him under one of the greatest afflictions, I think, can befall a man, namely the unkindness of a friend. But he had luckily, at the same time, 
the greatest blessing in his profession, the kindness of a faithful and beloved wife. A blessing, however, which, though it compensates most of the evils of life, rather serves to aggravate the misfortune of distressed circumstances, from the consideration of the share which she is to bear in them. This afternoon Amelia received a second visit from Mrs. Ellison, who acquainted her that she had a present of a ticket for the oratorio, which could carry two persons into the gallery, and therefore begged the favour of her company thither. Amelia, with many thanks, acknowledged the civility of Mrs. Ellison, but declined accepting her offer, upon which Booth very strenuously insisted on her going, and said to her, "'My dear, if you knew the satisfaction I have in any of your pleasures, I am convinced you would not refuse the favour Mrs. Ellison is so kind to offer you, for as you are a lover of music, you who have never been at an oratorio cannot conceive how you will be delighted.' "'I well know your goodness, my dear,' answered Amelia, "'but I cannot think of leaving my children "'without some person more proper to take care of them "'than this poor girl.' "'Mrs. Ellingson removed this objection "'by offering her own servant, "'a very discreet matron, to attend them. "'But notwithstanding this and all she could say "'with the assistance of Booth and the children themselves, "'Amelia still persisted in her refusal, "'and the mistress of the house,' who knew how far good breeding allows persons to be pressing on these occasions, took her leave. She was no sooner departed than Amelia, looking tenderly on her husband, said, "'How can you, my dear creature, think that music hath any charms for me at this time? Or indeed do you believe that I am capable of any sensation worthy of the name of pleasure, when neither you nor my children are present, or bear any part of it?' An officer of the regiment, to which Booth had formerly belonged, hearing from Atkinson where he lodged, now came to pay him a visit. He told him that several of their old acquaintances were to meet the next Wednesday at a tavern, and very strongly pressed him to be one of the company. Booth was, in truth, what is called a hearty fellow, and loved now and then to take a cheerful glass with his friends. But he excused himself at this time. His friend declared he would take no denial, and he growing very importune, Amelia at length seconded him. Upon this Booth answered, "'Well, my dear, since you desire me I will comply, but on one condition, that you go at the same time to the oratorio.' Amelia thought this request reasonable enough, and gave her consent, of which Mrs. Ellison presently received the news, and with great satisfaction." It may perhaps be asked why Booth could go to the tavern, and not to the oratorio with his wife. In truth, then, the tavern was within hallowed ground, that is to say, in the verge of the court. For, of five officers that were to meet there, three, besides Booth, were confined to that air which hath been always found extremely wholesome to a broken military constitution." and here if the good reader will pardon the pun he will scarce be offended at the observation since how is it possible that without running in debt any person should maintain the dress and appearance of a gentleman whose income is not half so good as that of a porter it is true that this allowance small as it is is a great expense to the public but if several more unnecessary charges were spared the public might perhaps bear a little increase of this without much feeling it they would not, I am sure, have equal reason to complain at contributing to the maintenance of a set of brave fellows, who, at the hazard of their health, their limbs, and their lives, 
have maintained the safety and honour of their country, as when they find themselves taxed to support a set of drones who have not the least merit or claim to their favour, and who, without contributing in any manner to the good of the hive, live luxuriously on the labours of the industrious bee. End of Book 4, Chapter 8